Our New Testament reading is found in Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Thank you very much for the invitation to be here, to fill this slot for you on Sunday, in the absence of your pastor. Uh, I have been here before, many, many years ago. I was a pastor at Upper Beading Baptist Church. Having been a school teacher and then a student at Spurgeon's, I came here to Upper Beading, Sussex. And um, uh, David, who was the minister here then, David Richardson, was organising a uh, group of uh, Wednesday nights, I think it was, sort of subjects for theology. And uh, um, he invited me to come and do a couple of sessions on life after death. Uh, which seemed to be a specialist subject of mine at the time. I don't know particularly why. Uh, so I have been here, but that was the old building, of course, so I'm very impressed to see what you have here. Uh, after 10 years at Gillingham in Kent, I went to Spurgeon's uh, as a, a, a tutor, uh, teaching what they call practical theology now. Uh, and I've been there for... I was there for 17 years as a tutor, and uh, a couple of years ago nearly, I retired... And I'm now subject to what's called the right doctrine. That is Nigel Wright, the principle. The right doctrine is never let anyone go. So uh, I've been sort of hoiked back to do various things. So I'm now what he calls a senior research fellow. And uh, it's a great privilege to continue to uh, influence the next generation of ministers and other students uh, and to be involved there. I have, uh, it's not my duty to sell the college today, although I hope I will sell it in various ways. If anyone has questions or would like information, there's a cha- table in the coffee uh, hall afterwards and you can pick up stuff there or ask me questions. And uh, especially if anyone's interested in doing a course, that is from all ages, from we have people of 80 coming to do courses right through to Uh, 20-year-olds, so anyone is eligible uh, to do something at Spurgeon's. And I know from this morning's experience, it's only an hour's drive, and so, you know, you could get there very easily if you want to do something. Or you can do stuff online, of course, these days. Uh, I'm very uh, uh, 
pleased to re recommend everything that, w that, that is done on, at, at Spurgeon's. Um, I have this week published a book uh, which is on the subject of prayer, strangely. I've been preaching on prayer recently, uh, maybe secretly with the idea that I might sell more books, but um, you can take that as you wish. But I, I would encourage you to have a look at this. Uh, some of you will no doubt find it very interesting. Uh, a lot of people nowadays are returning to a much more structured form of personal prayer, uh, what is sometimes called the daily office. And uh, um, this is to enable that to happen, and you'll see what it is when you have a glance at the ones I've put on the, on the table there. Um, since it's only just been published, I'm afraid the price is quite high, um, but I can do it for £12 rather than 13 if you want one this morning. Um, give you a pound off for being a member of Brighton Road Baptist Church um, and present this morning. So do have a look at that. There's not there very many, so uh, you may uh, find a run up. But I can always get some more. Or you can go to the bookshop or go online, uh, Amazon, and you can get them uh, from, from there. Well, God bless you. Um, I don't know how your praying is, your praying day by day, but my intention this morning is simply to encourage you to pray. Uh, and if you do pray, which I'm sure most, if not all of you do, uh, to pray more and to be more regular in prayer. I certainly can do with that challenge and it is an encouragement uh, to us all this morning to pray, thinking about Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 6. Um, and I'm sure if I went round the congregation this morning, I would find dozens of examples from you of answers to prayer that uh, you really prayed about something and it happened. Uh, I was trying to think back over uh, my years and for, for interesting examples. And the interesting example I thought of was uh, one day when I got a tax rebate. Uh, I can't remember the figures exactly, but it was a reasonable uh, sum of money. It was something like £675. Uh, something had gone wrong in the way that the treasurer had calculated things and I'd been paying too much tax and there was this cheque arrived for £675. That's good news, isn't it? And I said, oh, look, Margaret, this is good news. And you know what her first reaction was? We should tithe it. And I said, what do you mean tithe it? It's money they owe me. It's not anything, you know. Anyway, she's very good at these things. She says, well, it's something we didn't expect and we should give a tenth of it away to something, you know, to one of our missionary friends or to the church or whatever. So I was very resistant to this idea. Uh, I'm sure she secretly prayed, Lord, change his mind, we should tie his mind. Anyway, I went to visit a, a couple in the church that day who were in some sort of trouble. And they said part of their trouble was financial. And they uh, showed me uh, the gas bill, that the final demand, you know, the red demand that comes from the gas company... Uh, of the bill they had not been able to pay because they just hadn't got the money, little children and, you know, a young fellow. And, and they said, we really prayed for this money and we don't know where it's going to come from. And I looked at the bill and do you know how much it was? £67.50. Exactly a tithe of the money I'd received. And I, I had one of those moments, you know, you get this sort of shivery feeling when you realise something is happening here. And uh, anyway, it's a little example, isn't it? That I'm sure my Margaret had prayed, and certainly this couple had prayed, 
that someone would provide the money. And of course, we gave them the six, personally, we gave them the £67.50 uh, and paid the bill for them. And all of you could have uh, examples of answers to prayer of that kind. The question is, how can we be sure that God hears us, uh, let alone answers us and uh, gives us what we request? What rights have we got to expect that he will come to us in our praying, that he will draw near, that he will help us, and that he will give us what we ask for. So this is the question about the means of prayer. That's my title for today. The means of private prayer. What is it that gives us access to God, to God's ear? And a number of answers are possible for this. Uh, you could say, well, the means is the words themselves. You say something, and God hears, and he answers. And this is a long tradition in the church, that it is the words themselves that are important. More words, people seem to argue sometimes, or clever words, or the right words. You say the right words, and... You will be heard. Now, you see, take an example from the Old Testament. You remember Elijah on Mount Carmel, his contest with the prophets of Baal. You can read it in the book of Kings. And uh, the prophets of Baal prayed all day that the Canaanite god Baal would send down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. And uh, they danced about from nine o'clock in the morning till three in the afternoon and they cut themselves and they shouted and they prayed long and hard, no doubt, with all the Canaanite prayers that they had learned from their childhood. And nothing happened. And then, I, I won't continue the story, but the point is a simple one, that lots of praying, praying loud and long, is not the means to get your prayer answered. Now, you see, Christians have adopted that same line, that same idea. There's a lot of it about today. You pray loud and you pray long. That's the real way to pray. And some people, pastorally, when people, as a pastor, people come and you talk to them about their prayer life, they would sometimes say, I, I don't pray because I don't know what to say. Have you ever heard that said? Have you ever said it to yourself? I don't know what to say. But you see, Jesus, in this passage that was read to us from Matthew chapter 6, which is where, where we are, Matthew chapter 6, specifically denies that approach. He says it's not about the words that you say that gives you access to God. And he says, you remember in that little, uh, that little phrase, that the pagans do this, the prophets of Baal and the pagans in the Roman world, which Jesus was a part, this is what they think. They think they will be heard because of their many words. And so Jesus gives us a prayer which is very, very simple. It's actually five phrases or eight, it depends how you count. The means of prayer is not my words that make 
me heard. So what is it then? Is it because of the person that you are? You have to be the right kind of person. The means of prayer. Oh, you have to be a good person in order to be heard. The more righteous you are, the more obedient you are, the more likely God is to hear and to answer your prayer. Now, I've called this here the Father Christmas method of prayer. You know, uh, the uh, parents say to the children, perhaps quite wrongly, be good. You know, it's in the famous song, isn't it? Santa's coming to town. Be good and you will get your Christmas present. Father Christmas is watching. We don't know how he watches, but he's supposed to be watching when the children are working up towards Christmas. And you see, we have that same idea within the Christian uh, tradition that the more righteous you are, be good, then pray, and then God will answer your prayer. Now, of course, there's something that's nearer to the truth in this idea, because the Bible actually does say something very similar um, about Elijah in the book of James, you remember, James chapter 5, it says, uh, Elijah was a, a man like us, and yet he was heard, and then James says, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You got that? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Oh, that, that's it, you may say. That's exactly what you've been saying. If you're really good, really obedient, really loving, a good Christian, then you can pray, and then your prayers will be. Now, I think a lot of people don't pray much because they know that they're not righteous. So that raises a question for me. How righteous do you have to be in order to get your prayer heard. How good, you know? As good as a little girl who's been perfect for the two weeks before Christmas? Or something sort of not quite so good? Or the reality, what is true of actually most of us? We live in a a quite confused world in terms of our obedience. And let alone our, our actions are sometimes a bit in the middle let alone our thoughts and our feelings and our desires. How righteous do you have to be in order to be heard? And of course, Jesus told a parable along these lines, you remember, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee went up and said, I'm not like other people, I've done this, I've tithed, I've given to the poor, I, I, I fast, and so on. And then the tax collector was at the back saying, Oh God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went down to his house righteous. Not the other one, not the Pharisee, the penitent tax collector. So perhaps it's not about how righteous you are, maybe it's about how penitent you are, how sorry you are for the things that you have done. Well, yes, that's good, but how penitent do you have to be? I ask myself, now you see, this whole approach, although it's how we often think, is actually placing the emphasis in entirely the wrong place. It's not about more words, or the right words, or louder words. 
is not actually ultimately about how righteous you are, although you should be righteous and obedient and loving, nor how penitent we are. And we should pray sincerely and penitently and humbly. But you see, the point is you are not the means of your prayer. I am not the means of my prayer. I am not the one who carries it to God. That misses the main point of what is happening in Matthew chapter 6. The means of prayer is the one who gives the prayer. Shall I say that again? That's important. The means of prayer is the one who gives the prayer. Who gives the prayer? It is Jesus. This, then, is how you should pray. And the wonderful thing about this moment in the Gospels is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, is standing there giving the disciples the prayer and in turn, therefore, giving it to the church and therefore giving it to us, giving it to me and giving it to you. He stands here giving you the prayer. It's interesting, you see, it's not a Christian prayer at all. You look here, in vain for anything to do with Christianity. That's puzzling, that, isn't it? The most important prayer in the world, we would argue, there's nothing specifically, there's nothing about the cross. It's not the cross, the centre of Christianity. There's nothing about the resurrection. Nothing about the Holy Spirit. It's not Christian at all. So why is it Christian? It's Christian because Christ himself stands and offers us the prayer. He, in everything that he is and everything that he has done for us, in his saving work, is represented by his presence as he gives the prayer. And we then pray it, and we pray it in his presence, because he is the giver of it. It starts, our Father. And our Father, this is the only place where it appears in Matthew's Gospel, Father, this, my Father, your Father, Father, appears many, many times. But our Father only in this place. Whose father? His father and your father and my father, our father. He is praying this prayer with us and enabling us to pray it. So it is he who is the means of prayer. His words are given to us, his promises are given to us, and his saving power is given to us as we pray. Now, of course, Jesus said many things like this, uh, similar things, in other parts of um, uh, the New Testament, the Gospels. I will do, he said, whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask anything in my name, and I will do it. John chapter 14. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? But the in my name is the important bit. And it was nice to hear Tim using that phrase uh, at the end of his prayers. In your name, Lord Jesus. And sometimes we skip over that. But it's, of course, all that we are talking about today. The power and the presence <clears throat> and the word, very words of Jesus given to us so that in his name we pray. 
I want just to uh, sort of round this off with a, uh, um, a kind of illustration for you <clears throat> uh, as we just go through the prayer. Very briefly as we close, uh, where is the Brighton Road? Is it run along that way? Yeah, I've got to, I've got to have geo- geographically orientation here. I want you to, to, in your imagination, walk out the front door of the church here and you see in Brighton Road a massive pair of boots, right? great big pair of, uh, of hobnail boots there in the, in the street uh, because they're attached to a pair of legs that are lying up the road going towards Brighton there. Uh, and as you walk along Brighton Road, you see this enormous body and uh, then finally a head and arms and shoulders and so on, you know, half a mile up the road. An enormous person lying along the road, dead. He is dead. And in New Testament terminology, he is Adam. Naturally, all of us are in Adam. We belong to Adam. We are joined to Adam. Human beings with bodies that are going to die and bodies that are sinful and so on and so on, lives that are sinful. We live in Adam. As in Adam all die, Paul says. But here, standing in our midst, if you can imagine it, is another pair of feet. We better put the feet down there on the floor, I think. Sandaled feet in our imagination. And robes reaching up and going up through the ceiling. Glorious, white, shining robes. And, and uh, a rope, a girdle around. And then a body rising up and arms and strong shoulders. And a beautiful head crowned, shining and vibrant and alive. This is Jesus Christ. Resurrected, alive, standing in our midst. I mean, I know he's not physically present, it's the Holy Spirit, but it helps our imagination to know that he is present. As he was to the disciples that day, he gave the prayer. And what happens when you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, where's your baptism pool, under here? Oh, it's there. Some of you were baptised in that pool or something, something very similar in the previous church or another church. And when you came to Christ, you somehow crept out of Adam or desperately ran out of Adam and his death and his sin and his condemnation and you came to Christ and you crept into him and you grasped hold of him and he received you. And it was symbolised by your baptism, buried uh, with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. That's what becoming a Christian is, essentially. It's a lot of other things, but it is essentially that. Coming to Jesus, finding him, putting your faith in him, being received by him, taking all the promises and blessings and good that are in Christ, his righteousness, his peace, his reconciliation, his forgiveness, and receiving all that in him. And when we pray, we pray in Christ, in his name, through him, and in his presence, and with his very words. Even if we're not praying the Lord's Prayer, the principle is true of every prayer that you pray. In him and through him 
and in his words. So I just wanted to touch, as we close, on those phrases that he taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. Our Father, Jesus prays. Hallowed be your name. And he is praying it. He worshipped the Father with his whole life, his whole being honoured and praised and thanked. And sometimes he said those words, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have done this. I praise you that you have hidden these things from the wise and so on. He prayed prayers of thanks and, and praise to the Father. And so when you come and you praise here in church together, or whether you do it on your own, you're joining Jesus' praise to the Father. And he comes alongside you and enables you to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You want the will of God desperately. We pray about these terrible things. We think about the things we prayed about this morning and we, we're horrified by what people will do to one another. Especially in the name of religion. And we, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. But you see, Jesus prayed that too. And he not only prayed it, he acted it. He did the things that brought the kingdom of God into the world. And his power and his presence and his final coming are how the kingdom comes. And no prayer of yours, no act of yours accompanied by a prayerful spirit is ever wasted because his kingdom is coming and all moves towards his return. So we can pray that prayer with confidence. Your will be done, even though it takes a while to happen. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that a lovely prayer to be able to pray day by day? Here is Jesus' humanity. If Jesus had not eaten breakfast, lunch and tea or whatever it was they had in those days, would he have died of starvation? Yes, he would. If the Father had not provided for him day by day, Jesus was very conscious of his humanity and he prays, prayed this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's a great encouragement to us as ordinary human beings with very simple needs on a day-to-day basis that we can pray those prayers. And sometimes people think this stuff is trivial and I should pray about my lost keys or not running out of petrol on a journey. But actually, this prayer encompasses all those things. My father-in-law, who's very elderly, who's recently died, I was helping him the other week and the tumble dryer had stopped. Now he's a great man of prayer, 92, prayed all his life. Chris, will you try and see if the tumble dryer will go? So I said, yeah, I'm sure it'd probably be the plug. And of course, uh, I got the plug apart. It was difficult and I couldn't find a fuse and I had to change the whole plug and had to do it again because I'd forgotten to put something in the right order, you know, and take it all off again. And he stood there with his, leaning on his frame saying, I'm praying. I'm praying that it'll work. And I thought, oh, yeah, good for you, sort of thing. Slightly cynical uh, theology lecturer uh, about this simple prayer that the tumble dryer plug will work when I put the fuse in. And uh, then the moment came, I plugged it in and I said, Are you ready, Peter? He said, I'm still praying. (laughs) 
And I turned it on, and of course it worked. And he said, there you are, <laughs> like that. Now, you see, there you are is a very important point. People are cynical about the practical, normal, daily things that happen to all of us, about which we sometimes uh, are inclined to dismiss as not God's business. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the justification. As a human being, you can ask him, and Jesus asks him with you, forgive our sins. Now, I don't know how, there's a mystery here. Jesus didn't need sins forgiven, so he didn't pray this for himself. But on the cross, Jesus, of course, was praying that prayer for us. He bore the sins of the whole world there. He became sin for us who knew no sin. And as he prays, Father, forgive us and forgive them, he brings that forgiveness in to the world. And as we enter him, we receive the forgiving that God gave through the cross. And we can ask, we should ask day by day, as we did in the service a moment ago, forgive us. Together with Jesus, we are forgiven. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' testing, his trials, his temptations, his suffering, and finally his painful death and his ultimate glory. You see, we cannot just have the nice parts of Jesus. If you are in Jesus Christ, if he's standing here and you are joined to him and you are following him, then there's testing, temptation, trials, pain, and ultimately death. Because that is the way of Jesus. And this prayer reminds us that that is the world that we live in. We don't avoid those things as Christians. We embrace them as Jesus embraced them for a greater purpose, to enter into glory. That is part of the deal. And that is why that prayer is there, that we should ask in those times as well. And some of you have been through... Uh, most of you probably at various times in your life been through really, really dark and difficult times of rejection, of temptation, of wandering, of darkness. And all of us, brothers and sisters, will come to the greatest darkness, the, the last enemy death. And at those times we pray what Jesus prayed, Lord, deliver us, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, I wonder where you are as we close. Are you still in Adam somewhere there, trying to make life work, lying dead in Brighton Road? Are you on the way out, or on the way towards Christ? I plead with you to make it quicker. Are you sort of just finding your way in? Maybe you need to be baptised to cement that. Or are you there, in Christ, as it were, in enjoying these privileges we've been talking about, the privilege of prayer? I invite you, I encourage you to pray Jesus' prayer and your own prayers and to see yourself in him. He is the means of private prayer. Let's pray together as we close. Father, I pray for each member of the congregation here, and the teachers outside and with the children and the children themselves. Lord, that you will teach us 
with a glorious privilege, whatever our needs, whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, whatever prayer comes rising up from our heart, that you, you, Lord Jesus, are praying it with us and you're taking those prayers to your heavenly Father. Release us, Lord, to be a praying people. For your name's sake, amen.